Uh, we're continuing in our series in the book of James, and so if you, have, um, if you have a copy of the scripture, you can take it out. If not, you can certainly grab one on your phone, or we'll have uh, most of the scripture up here on the screen for you as well. Uh, we still do have, I think, maybe a handful of little um, series booklets out in the foyer. If you're interested in that, a place to take notes and to follow along, uh, and to follow along with us. Um, if you're just joining us, or if you're um, if you're if you're new to Conduit, maybe new even in the last few weeks, all of um, all of our all of our messages, all of our services are online, and you can go to our YouTube channel and subscribe there, and get even continued updates on the YouTube channel as well. I would encourage you to do that, and uh, follow us on so- the social media platforms that you're on, either Facebook or Instagram, as we post there regularly as well. Um, but the last the last few weeks or so, uh, the last four weeks actually, this is the fourth week we've been in the Epistle of James. Now, if you have any any familiarity um, with the Scripture, you'll you you might know or feel that James often. I, I some some people would describe James as coming across nicely. They would say he comes across a little strong, right? Uh, and usually what they mean by that is that James has a very pointed, has a very pointed way of communicating the wisdom of God, the truths of God, the things of God. And like we talked about the first week that we were in the series, they often, these truths, they often feel like pretty large pills for us to swallow. Um, James is he writes his he writes his um, this letter or this epistle mainly to mainly to believers or those that have already expressed um, explicit faith in Jesus Christ. All right, so that they they've made a commitment they've made a commitment to following Jesus. They're at you know kind of that stage in their spiritual development or their spiritual journey, and so James feels as though. Here I am, Lord. Yeah. So James feels as though James feels as though he has he has maybe a little bit of he has a little authority and he's got a little bit more weight to kind of press some hard truths into or onto the lives of those who have said, "Hey, I follow Jesus." And if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, and I know many of you are, right? I know you know you might not be, right? You might not have ever made that commitment, and that's okay too. We, this is your home. We welcome you here. But if you're uh, if you are here and you're a follower of Jesus, like James, James wants to push some heavy heavy truths, some large, hard, difficult to swallow pills at the table in front of you, right? And ask or admonish that you pick them up and try to swallow them, right? And so um, he, what James is trying to do, really his whole, his whole like purpose is to get those who express faith in Jesus Christ to be really cognizant and aware and intentional about aligning the internal faith that we have, Right? 
with the external way that we present in the world. Right? So he, he says things like, hey, don't just, don't just hear the word, right? Do what it says. Right? Or, or in, um, like at the end of, uh, chapter one, if anyone considers themselves religious yet does not keep a tight rein on their tongue, they deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. And then he's got a whole, two whole sections about like making sure that the external nature of our speech aligns with the internal commitments that we've made in faith in Jesus Christ, right? He wants to see those things aligned, right? And then he goes on what we talked about last week. He talks about like the, the, the external alignment and the internal alignment of the mercy that we have received from Jesus to the mercy that we extend in our relationships interpersonally now. Bring those things into alignment, James says. And so James is all about trying to like admonish or encourage or help us, you and I, those who follow Jesus, to essentially be consistent. Be consistent in what we believe, be consistent in what we think, and be consistent in what we ultimately do, how we how our how our lives are played out. Right? Um, that is like if there is one ground that James writes everything from, it's that ground. The consistency of our internal faith and our external actions. Right? And I think that you, I think most people would agree here that if there is maybe one thing, one thing that those who follow Jesus maybe are consistently, um, a, a charge that is consistently leveled against followers of Jesus is that there is a misalignment between the internal faith of their heart, right, and the external reality of their lives. Would you agree? Yeah, right? And so, so James is kind of one of those guys, he's like, hey, let's bring those things in closer alignment so that, we, so that we present to the world a picture of Jesus that is honoring. A picture of the church that is honoring. A picture of believers that is honoring. Um, and so it's all, all of that reality, all of that desire of James is kind of summed up or comes to culmination in our scripture for this morning, which is James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26, where James essentially asks the question, hey, what good is it if you claim to have faith, but you have no deeds? Right? There's a little bit to unpack here. So let's first read the scripture that we have, and then we'll talk through it. James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, Go! I wish you well. Keep warm and well fed. But does nothing about their is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, "Well, you have faith, and and I have deeds." James' response here is this: 
will show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God. Well, good, great, grand, wonderful, fantastic. Even demons believe that. And they shudder. You foolish people, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that this faith, his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what they do and not by their faith alone. And in the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Okay, so we see here that James, the, the ground of his argument here is in the first sentence there in, chapter, or in verse 14. What good is it if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? And then he uses some examples, maybe some practical examples of someone who is um, uh, naked or has no clothing or is hungry and has no food. And the believer comes along and essentially says, hey man, God bless, I'll be praying for you. right? But does nothing by which to actually help them with the needs that are obvious before them. What good is... What good is the place that, that, that the words, hey, God bless, comes from if you, can, if you cannot actively pursue something that, that shows inwardly that you have made commitments to Jesus? James talks about some historical figures, right? Talks about Abraham and Rahab, and we could talk a lot about them and the, the meaning of those, those examples, but, uh, but they're... There's, there's much to talk about here. The ground of it is the, like, look, like this. Faith and deeds come into alignment. Faith and action need to come into alignment. Faith and works need to come into alignment. Now, um, if we're not careful, we can develop a little bit of belief or a little bit of theology that sounds correct and right but is not right and so i want to i want to talk a little bit about something that uh, can get a little confusing here if we're if we're not intentional to kind of parse it out all right um because there are things that james is saying here like that our faith and our actions must come into alignment but there are also things that he is not saying one historical figure that you may have heard of, his name was Martin Luther, right? And he was kind of the, the, um, the originator of the Protestant Reformation, right? Kind of a big wig in the, early, or in, the, um, in the church, right? Some 300 years ago or so. And, um, and what, what Luther really did not like, the book of James. And the reason that he did not like the book of James was that he felt like it was too close to disagreeing with what had for a long time been the ground of what everyone believed salvation was about from the Apostle Paul, which was that 
which was that, that um, salvation was not something that had anything to do with our works or our deeds or our action, but that salvation was something that was offered to us as a gift of God through faith in Jesus Christ and had nothing to do with how good we were or how bad we were. That it was free from any encumbrance of having to do with something that we did or not do. So Martin Luther stood strong on this ground. It's like, like, okay, James, I know you want to talk a lot about how faith without works is dead, but Paul was more talking about like, hey, you know, faith or salvation is, is having to do with like faith in Jesus Christ, not the, not the content of your works, right? So Luther and the scripture would argue, right? These kind of passages, like Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 9. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. In verse 8 and 9, here's like the keys. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one may boast. So Paul's message, the Apostle Paul's message, who Apostle Paul wrote Ephesians, all right? So Paul's message here is really clear. The unequivocal message of Scripture is really clear. Is that there is no amount of good things that you or I can do in order to save ourselves. There is no amount. There is no amount of good behavior. There is no amount of positive thinking. Right. There is no amount of nice things. There is no amount of good things that you and I can do to tip the scales in our favor when it comes to our eternal standing before our holy heavenly Father. That the only way, right? The only way that you and I experience salvation or that we experience the eternal life promised is that that God, in His mercy and in His love, has reached out to us in Jesus Christ. And that by our expression of faith in Jesus Christ, we receive the gift of God that we could not have earned on our own. Salvation is a gift of God that is offered to us through faith in Jesus Christ. And so, when you look at what the Apostle Paul says here, right, who is like, you know, wrote a third, or or like two thirds of the New Testament, right, is like, 
the major theologian that we get, that we learn from in the New Testament. You look at you look at the the life of Jesus, right? And you 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 balance Paul saying like, "Hey, salvation is a gift of God through Jesus Christ, so that no one may boast." And then you look at James over here, who was like, "Hey, look, unless your faith." is accompanied by deeds or works or actions or whatever definition you have in your scripture, then it is dead. It is lifeless. There is nothing vital within it. It means nothing. Then the question that we have to ask ourselves, we, we must ask ourselves is like, are they saying different things? Are they saying different things? Because maybe on the surface it would seem like there was, there was a, a contradiction of message here, right? And if you read, but if you read James carefully, and even if you read the Apostle Paul carefully, you will realize that their messages are not the same, not the same at all, or not the, they're not, they're not different, right? That they're, they're talking about the same thing, they're just talking about it at different points in a person's spiritual journey in a person's spiritual life. So what Paul is saying over here in Ephesians, he was like, look, before you come to faith in Jesus Christ, you may feel as though like, well, hey, I just got to do more good things than I do bad things, and God will see and know that I'm trying really hard, and hopefully, right, and I'm confident that, that it will be okay in the end. What what Paul is saying over here, he was like, but it won't be, right? Because there's 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 no amount of good things, right, that sinful people can do within ourselves in order to like outweigh the power of sin that has in, like chained us, and so unable to save ourselves, we must trust. That God, who is rich in mercy, extends his grace to us in Jesus, right? And that by trusting in the gift of God offered to us in Jesus, that that which we could not do on our own, God does for us through Christ. And so you have Paul speaking about like pre-salvation. Like what do you, what does it take? What must I do? How do I get to the place of being right with God? And Paul is unequivocally saying, is like you can't get right with God by just trying to be better or trying to be more good than you were yesterday. Right? Making small little tweaks in my, in my morality or my ethics or my thoughts or my words. Like you can't move the needle enough. Now James over here is talking about an entirely different stage of a person's spiritual life. He's talking about the stage where faith has already been expressed in Jesus. And that we're, we, have, we have received the gift of faith through, we have received the gift of salvation through our faith in Jesus Christ. And so now, since we have received that gift of faith, how is our life made or seen to be different given what we have done, given the response of faith that we have in Jesus. Okay? 
And Paul says the same thing. He says the same thing. Like at the, in verse 10 of the scripture that we just read, right? For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. It is not by works so that no one can boast. And then verse 10. For you, for we, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. The reality here, right, is that what Paul says and what James says ultimately does come into alignment in this reality that our works or the good things that we do, the feeding of the hungry or the clothing of the naked, to use the example of James, the good things that we do becomes a response of the life of Jesus in us. It becomes, it becomes a response. So we see that the life of Jesus in us changes us, changes our hearts, and then we respond in our lives accordingly. That our, that our the internal faith that we have now is accompanied by, by deeds, by actions, by works that show that inwardly we have been transformed by our relationship with Jesus Christ. What is interesting here is that James does not, does not, he does not outwardly say, hey, look, if you have no deeds, if you have no outside working of your internal relationship with Jesus, then you don't actually have a relationship with Jesus. James states pretty clear. He was like, hey, look, you can have faith. You can have an internal trust in your relationship with Jesus offered to you by God for the salvation. You can have all of that. You can have faith, right? But without your faith moving you towards action, moving you towards good work, moving you towards deeds, then James says, hey, you have a faith, but it is dead. It's present. It's maybe intellectual. You maybe have held, you may be holding it in your heart, right? That faith is not inaccessible to the person that refuses to let the outside part of their world align with the internal, but that you're just you're you're forfeiting the vitality of the life of faith that God has planned for those who express faith in Jesus Christ by actively working out what Jesus has put in you. Verse 17 of our scripture from this morning. Faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. Now, like I said, James is nowhere saying here that faith without action or without deeds is inaccessible or not existent. James is just saying, hey, it's dead. It's lifeless. It's without vitality that faith separated from deeds is simply incomplete 
Now you may ask yourself a question like, well, how, how can that be? Well, you've probably, you have probably experienced this in life before. You've probably experienced this reality in life before. I've experienced it. You've experienced it. Maybe it's even been a part of your own personal story and your own testimony, right? Think about it this way. You can have a person, right? Or maybe you've had an experience with a person before in life that um, for, I mean, that essentially has like the most extensive, like, theological brain or biblically minded like is biblically minded than than anyone you've like they know the answer to every single question of faith right they can quote a ton of scripture they are at church every single time that the doors are open they're in every sunday school class or in every small group they're 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 at church every sunday morning right they're always reading their Bible, they're always talking about the new um, book that they're reading, right? That, that it's just like their life is like an overflow, right, of, of the things that they're learning in faith, right? The things that they're doing in relationship with their church or doing in relationship with the whole of the Christian community. And so they have all of this over here, and on the other side over here, they're like, you're just experiencing them as an extraordinarily judgmental, impatient, generally mean, curmudgeon-y type of person that you've ever met in your entire life. Right? Like, has all of the answers and is a complete jerk about it. Knows everything that a person would want to know about faith, about the Scripture, about theology, about Jesus, but you don't care to hear any of it because the unloving attitude of their heart just comes seeping through every single word and attitude towards you. Right? And so, there is a faith that exists, right, in the content that they have, but it's certainly not being expressed or worked out in their life where you would say that their faith is vital and alive and life-giving and like something that is like, oh my gosh, like I don't know what you have, but I want it. Whatever it is that, like however it is that you're living and whatever it is that you believe and whatever Jesus or God that you're following, I can see the way that is being expressed in your life, and I don't know what it is, but I want it. And that's why James says here, right? Like, hey, you show me, we, we show that we have faith via our actions or our works, right? Show me your faith without deeds. It's this guy over here, right? Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. The question then becomes, what are, what exactly are the deeds, the works, the actions, whatever word you want to lose, use, what exactly are the deeds, the works, or the actions 
that accompany my faith and show that my faith is real, that it is alive, and that it is vital. If we're going to say, right, if we're going to stand on these two premises, first the premise of Paul, right, is that, is that salvation is not found in how good we are and how well we act, right? But once we come to a place of salvation through our faith in Jesus Christ, now the response of our life, right, is to work out that faith so that others may see, then what exactly does that look like? And what is that? And, and, and how do I understand what it is to like work and act or have deeds that are like, that accompany my faith and make it, and make it real? Well, James gives us like, he uses an analogy or a story, right? An example of like, say you encounter a brother or a sister, someone in the community of faith and they, they have a physical need, right? They have a very legitimate physical need. There's, they're, they don't have clothing or they're naked, right? Or they don't have food and they're hungry, right? And that the action there for you is to simply, you know, like, hey, God bless, man. God bless you. You know, I'll really be praying for you. I'm having lunch at my house later today and I'm sure we're going to have leftovers and we'll make sure that we pray for you before our meal, right? Like it's almost... It's almost like James uses hyperbole here for how atrociously inconsistent that is with our inward faith, right? With our inward belief. And certainly, like, those are real examples, right? The, the, the providing of, like, a person's most basic, physical, fundamental needs to be well-clothed and to be fed is certainly something that those of us who express faith in Jesus Christ would say is important for us in order to have the life of Jesus lived out in faith, right? But, but James takes it a little bit further here, and then so does Paul, takes it even further, when he describes what it means to separate, right? Or to understand the difference between just a faith right here and a faith that is alive or vital or working. And James does it in a little section here, and then Paul expands on it, and we're going to talk about both. James talks about it in verse 19 of the scripture that we read this morning. And it was one of the, it's one of those like large pills. Verse 19. You believe that there is one God. Big frigging whoop, James says. Every demon in hell believes that there is one God. It doesn't matter. What is, what, what is James alluding to here? Right? James is alluding to, and we're going we're gonna to see that Paul says the same thing in a minute. Right? James is alluding to the reality that you can fill your mind or your faith, right? with every bit of precise theological knowledge that you can jam into this space. And it does not make one single, and it can make not one single difference in, how, in, in your faith being alive or your faith being dead. 
we have this, we have this um, tendency in the 21st century modern Western world to believe that just gaining or amassing more intellectual knowledge creates the heart and life and spiritual change that we all talk about wanting to see. It's a farce. As a whole, as a whole culture, there has never been more information, more accessible to more people right at our fingertips, even for the life of faith. Right? You have never you have, you have access to more teaching. You have access to more Bible study. You have access to more information literally in the computer that you carry around in your hand all day, every day, right? And it is not producing, right, the expression of a vital life of faith unless you're utilizing it to love people. And this is exactly what Paul says is the difference between amassing theological knowledge to hold in our brain, right? And expressing what we know and what is being revealed to us by the Scripture in our attitude and posture of love towards other people. Paul's going to say in Galatians chapter 5, verse 6, that the only thing that matters in all of the theological debates that could possibly be, and he He's, he's dealing with a theological debate about between Jews and Gentiles, right? But in all of the theological debates that could possibly ever matter, the only thing that matters is faith expressing itself through love. Faith expressing itself through love. You'd be the best theologian the most perfect Bible study person, have studied every single book of the Bible and have the most precise theology that you could ever possibly imagine. None of it matters except your faith expressing itself through love. You will not be judged based on the perception or the preciseness of your theology or belief. You will be judged on your love of other people. Period. End of sentence. That will be the measure by which your faith is proved true, vital, and life-giving. In probably one of the most famous scriptures in all of the New Testament, right? You hear it at every single wedding, and we think it's about the love between husband and wife, right? Which it is, but it's also not. Paul talks about this love that is being expressed through faith. And he says this, 1 Corinthians 13, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give all that I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. 
And what is Paul saying here? He's saying the exact same thing that James says. Saying the exact same thing that we continue to say, right? You can have it all up here. You can be so gifted with the gift of teaching and prophecy. You can fathom all the mysteries of faith. You can, have, you can possess a faith that will move mountains according to the gospel. But if you have not love, none of it matters. Throw it on the burn pile. It's worthless. What becomes even more stark is that Paul does not leave love up to some like innocuous definition of being like fluffy and fruity with people. That he actually defines what the life of love looks like. And so we can actually begin to gauge whether or not the faith that is inside of us is being expressed in a way that shows what is most important about our faith is that we are loving people. And that's what he goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 13. Right? What does it mean? What are, what are, what was the question that we asked? What are the deeds, the works, or the actions that accompany faith and show that it is real? So you might ask yourself the question, how do I know that the faith that is inside me, that I'm not just relying on the knowledge of it to save me, but that I'm expressing my faith through love? Well, you ask yourself these questions about the relationships that are around you. Is your life becoming increasingly patient? Is your life becoming, are you, are you, are you growing in your kindness to others? Has, has envy been emptied out of your system? Are you walking away from attitudes that are boastful or proud? Are you laying down a spirit of rudeness to others? And setting aside a desire to be self-seeking? Are you not, not easily angered? Have you, have you given up the task of keeping a record of all of the wrongs that have been done to you? Because love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth, and it always protects and always trusts and always hopes and always perseveres. What is the nature of a faith? that James says that is vital, that is alive, that is life-changing, that is, not, that is not dead on the doorstop because it has no action. James says that it's a life that's lived in love, patient and kind, not envious and does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking or easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. It does not delight in evil but rejoices in the truth. If my faith is not moving me every day towards increasing expressions of love for other people, then my faith won't be life-giving to me or anyone else. It will simply be a bullet point list of theological concepts that will someday be thrown on the garbage heap of life. 
Now, does that mean that we don't that we don't diligently study the scripture? Does that mean that we do not we do not pursue theological or biblical or knowledge of the faith? I hope you hear me. I hope I hope you hear me correctly. That is not that is not at all that is not at all the truth. All right, we we certainly right pursue increased knowledge and understanding and growth in our faith both intellectually and in our heart and in our spirit we just must understand what the purpose of that information is it's not to puff up our head right it's not to make us smarter it's to make us more loving every bit of theology we study every bit of scripture that we get into us, every tenet of faith that we ascribe to is not to make us smarter, it's to make us more loving. Because the only thing that matters, Paul says, is faith expressing itself through love. And so yes, earnestly seek out the truth of God. Earnestly seek out the truth of the scripture. Pursue God intellectually and in your heart, but understand and pray and desire that every single bit of information that you take in, every single bit of stuff that you get, that God wants to leverage that to help you be a person that loves others more completely. That is the purpose. That is what, that is what James is ultimately saying here. Say, look, what you believe And how you treat other people, how you act towards other people, how you are experiencing patience or rudeness or kindness or envy or boasting or pride. Let us bring those things into alignment, not just for the benefit of others, but for the benefit of your own faith so that you can understand for the first time right, what the scripture means when it says that your faith should be alive. Probably one of the most heartbreaking things that I experience as a pastor is sitting with people who have said, who, who say to me, I've been in church my entire life. I have listened to thousands of sermons. I have read hundreds of books. I read my Bible every single day and I feel no closer to Jesus. I feel no like, like inspiration of the Holy Spirit within me than I did when I was not a Christian. And that's the reality that we're, that, that's being experienced here. That's the reality that James is trying to communicate to us, right? Is that, is that um, pursuing the life of love and actually working hard to become a person who is more patient or who is less rude or who is not envious or that keeps no record of wrongs. Like asking the Lord to, to transform our lives, our hearts, in accordance with those things, right, is actually the goal of our faith, is actually the, the, the purpose of the, of the intellectual work that we do in studying the Scripture. And until, we, and, and until you come to, like, grips with that, right, you will continue to wrestle with this sense of, like, man, this thing is powerless to save me. No, it's not powerless to save you, right? You're just using the wrong tool for the wrong job. The only thing that matters is faith expressing itself through love. Let me pray. Let me pray over you as we uh, welcome the.
worship team uh, back up this morning. Heavenly Father, certainly we, um, Lord, your your word, Lord, it is a it is a light to our feet. It is a lamp to our path. It's something that guides. It is something that our guides our life in Christ. And Lord, um, we so desire to have a right relationship with your word and a right perspective of our faith as something, Lord, that is not just a benefit to our mind, but that increases the capacity of our love for others. Lord, would you help us to love others more fully? To pursue in greater measure an attitude of patience and kindness. The removal of roots of envy or pride. A desire to let go through a process of forgiveness the wrongs that have been done to us. Lord, and to express our faith, not in the manner of our theological precision, Lord, but to express our faith in the manner and capacity of our love for others. Lord, make us more loving. Transform us into a people who love uh, more deeply, with more intensity. Lord, let us be known, not as a church and as a people, who have great theology, Lord, but as a church and as a people that are exceptionally loving to others. In Jesus' name, amen.